0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Probably uh, much like you, during this Christmas season, Cammy and I have found ourselves making a lot of lists. Uh, we've made um, Christmas card lists. We've made a lot of grocery store lists because of a lot of different holiday events that we've been involved in. And of course, we've made um, gift lists. Has anybody else found themselves during the Christmas season making a lot of lists? Raise your hand if that's true. Yeah, many of you around the room. Christmas just seems to indicate that we uh, would make lists. Now, I'm sure this isn't true of anybody in this room, but some would mistakenly believe that Santa made the first Christmas list because the song says he's making a list. He's checking it twice, right? Uh, Well, uh, spoiler alert, I want to Make sure, you know this under uh, this morning that, that that's not true. The first Christmas list was a God original, and that list um, uh, in, in that list God revealed four gifts that are only available through Jesus Christ, and those four gifts are represented in the four names that Isaiah gives us in his prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, particularly verse 6, where he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name. Will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This morning we find ourselves in the third week of our Christmas series. The Christmas series is titled, as you saw, he will be called. In our first two weeks, we focused on, we considered the first two names that Isaiah gives us uh, in Isaiah 9, 6. We focused on uh, Jesus, our wonderful counselor. And then last weekend, we focused on, we considered uh, Jesus, uh, our mighty God. Well, this morning in the third week, as we continue on, we're going to focus on Jesus, our everlasting father. And in case you didn't know this, this uh, series actually concludes on Christmas Eve in a brief message where We'll focus on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So if you're going to be in town and you're still on the fence of whether or not you're going to come, please be sure and come uh, and experience not only what I believe will be a very Holy Spirit inspired message, but uh, beautiful music and a time of communion, family communion around the table. So please come and bring your family. Uh, there, tickets are out there, but you know what? Even if you forget to pick up the tickets, come anyway, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll make a place for you. Um, So, uh, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 1. And when you get there, just mark it. Hold your place. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Actually, we're going to walk through a series of verses in John, the Gospel of John, that are related to the message. So, turn there. Mark your place. And while you're doing that, um, I actually want to take just a little bit of time and I want to tell you about my family. And when I say my family, I want to tell you about the family I grew up in. And my, my family of origin and it's all related to the message So, on September 6th, 1960, Charles Winston Wilson and Elizabeth Branham Wilson welcomed me, Stanley Marshall Wilson, into their family. I was the fourth born of four boys. While I would not declare that I was an accident because I don't believe in God's economy, there's any such thing as accident, um, I will say I think I was a surprise for my mom and dad because my dad, who was 40, and my mom, who was 37, had just not planned on having any more children after having these three boys and... And there were some medical conditions that would contribute to that as well. Uh, both my mom and dad grew up during the Great Depression and because of that fact growing up in the Great Depression they were both forced to drop out of school at a very early age so they could help support the family as a result of ending their uh, education sooner than they would have liked to um, both my mom and dad over time uh, began to develop um, a a low self esteem and and a lack of confidence because of a lack of education Um, and this low self esteem and this lack of confidence began to um, shape their perspectives. It began to shape how they viewed the world. Um, it began to shape their behaviors, particularly in my dad. Over time, this low self-esteem and, and um, uh, 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 lack of confidence kind of led to him developing insecurities which would manifest themselves. In anger, And he carried that into our family life. Uh, without going into great detail about family life in my home, I could summarize it by saying that the atmosphere in the Wilson home was typically one of hostility and conflict and, and great offense. On one hand, my, my father was a very loving father. Uh, But on the flip side, he had the ability, because of the uh, lack of confidence, the low self-esteem, the insecurities that developed over time, he had the the ability to, in anger, speak words that were very hurting and very cutting. He had the ability, in anger, to oftentimes, uh, to be uh, emotionally and even sometimes physically abusive. Um, Here's what I can tell you today. Um, I am thankful... That because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, um, I don't have to walk around in woundedness that I experienced in my in my family of origin growing up. Uh, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, not only do I know Jesus Christ as Savior, but I know Jesus Christ as my healer. Not just my physical healer, but He heals our heart. He heals our emotions. He heals our spirit. He heal, heals our soul. And through a work of the Holy Spirit over the years, what I recognized, and I really believe that the Holy Spirit uh, identified this or brought it to light for me, is my father was simply working with the model that had been passed on to him. What he displayed uh, in his own behaviors, and his own perspectives are much like what he experienced from his father. So it was just handed down. And so he was working with what he had. And again, uh, it, it helps me to be able to, rather than walking in woundedness and hurtfulness, I can walk in the ongoing healing power of Jesus Christ. And the reason this morning that I would tell you my story is because my story is a story of thankfulness. And my story is a story uh, that reminds me of the story of Christmas. You see, the story of Christmas is a story of redemption. And the story of Christmas is a story of family. And the story of Christmas uh, is a story, actually, of fatherhood. The story of Christmas is the story of Jesus making his way into the world so that you and I could be adopted into God's family and know God as our Heavenly Father. Um, What I'm getting ready to say, I hope it doesn't insult anyone. It doesn't take a a college degree or even a high school diploma to know this. So what I'm going to say is all of us in this room, we all have a biological father, right? If you didn't have a biological father, you would not be here at this moment. Is that right? So um, what we have to recognize and we can respectfully confess, admit that our biological fathers were flawed in their fathering. Am I right? Yeah, they just didn't always get it right. And we can respectfully admit that. Um, But we can take that a step further. For every father in this room, could we confess, could we admit that we don't always get it right? That we are so often flawed in our fathering. This past week, I was thinking back over uh, my life with, uh, our life with our two boys. And I thought of some fathering moments that it's like, hmm. I just wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I had have done that differently. I wish I could have explained myself better. Uh, We just don't get it right. We're flawed in our fathering. And so with that, we we recognize uh, that that the Christmas story really is a story of redemption. And it's a story uh, of fatherhood. Because Christmas, again, is about Jesus making his way into the world so that you and I could be adopted. Um, And so with that, we have to understand that uh, when we look to Isaiah... Isaiah, in revealing the names of Jesus, was revealing the function that Jesus would have towards his people. Jesus, uh, as Isaiah was revealing uh, Jesus as the everlasting Father, he wasn't focusing on his role in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Instead, he was focusing on his character and his function towards a world that needed to be rescued. And it's very important that we understand this. We have to understand that in Isaiah's prophecy, as he said, He will be called Everlasting Father. That in no way was Isaiah saying that when Jesus comes, Jesus is going to replace the Father. That was not his point. Some believe that. And it's actually a false doctrine. It's called modalism. And modalism would deny the existence of the Trinity. Well, again, that's not the point that Isaiah was making. Instead, Isaiah was revealing the character of the Father that Jesus, when he comes, he will be fatherly. He will be fatherlike in his treatment of us. Um, last weekend, while we were. Uh, Focusing, uh, considering Jesus as mighty God, we ask and we answer a question. And the question that we ask and we answer is, how can Jesus be God and be sent by God? Let me say that again. We ask and answer. How can Jesus be God and how can he be sent by God? And um, in answering that question, uh, what we concluded is that while we may not fully understand that truth, While we may not be able to fully explain the truth, that is not a prerequisite for believing it as truth. But instead, what we do is we look to Scripture. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. We look to Scripture and throughout Scripture, we find uh, valid evidence that tells us that Jesus was God and that he was sent by God. And we accept the evidence that we see in Scripture by faith and we say, it's settled. I can't explain it. I can't fully understand it. But the Bible tells me that Jesus was God and that he was sent by God. So therefore, by faith, I'll believe it. Well, this morning we want to ask and answer another question. And the question that we want to ask and answer this morning is how could the, Jesus, the Son of God, also be the everlasting father. And how could a, a, a baby also um, uh, be a, a father, a, a, a baby? How, and how could, how could a, a, a little baby so young be considered to be everlasting? We, we want to get to the bottom of that this morning. And so we'll begin with just a very short lesson in Hebrew. Hebrews, is the, the language of the Old Testament. Um, and in Hebrew... Uh, when we read Everlasting Father, the Hebrew word for that is a very short hyphenated word called Abi Dad, A B I hyphen A D. And Abi means Father. And A-D, odd, simply means uh, uh, unceasing in duration. So literally, the translation of everlasting father in Hebrew is that the, he's the father of eternity. That's exactly what Isaiah was saying, that he will be called the father of eternity. Uh, Jesus was saying that this baby that's going to be born in Bethlehem, uh, he has no beginning he has no end. He's going to be recognized as eternal. He existed. When he comes, he will have existed before he came. And he will exist forever. He will exist throughout eternity. Again, we, uh, last weekend we let scripture interpret scripture. And we want to do the same this morning uh, as we talk about this fact that Jesus is the everlasting father. So how do we, how do we understand the everlasting part? of Jesus, our everlasting Father. Well, we look to Scripture. I had you turn to John chapter 1. And so what I want to do is uh, letting Scripture interpret Scripture. I want to walk through a series of verses in the Gospel of John and one final one in Revelation that gives proof to the fact that Jesus is eternal. And we're going to start right in the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen as I read. It says, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So there we have proof. He always was. The Word is Jesus. And it says the Word was there in the beginning with God, and He was God. Let's look at in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. This is the next day John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So we know from the Christmas story that, that uh, Jesus was born after John the Baptist. And, and, and John is acknowledging this. My cousin, Jesus, was born after me. But what I want to tell you is that he existed before me because he's eternal. Turn over to John chapter 6. Look at verse 38. This is Jesus speaking and he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him Who sent me? So, what he's saying is, I was in heaven because I'm eternal, and I came down from heaven to be Emmanuel, God with us. I came down from heaven to do the will of the Father. So, he already existed. Uh, Look at John chapter 8, verses 57 and 58. In verse 57, it says, You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Once again, he's saying, I am. I am eternal. I was there before Abraham ever was. Look at John chapter 10, verse 30. Actually, we'll look at 29 and 30. Jesus speaking again. He says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And that word one refers to being one in nature. And so he's saying, I and the Father are one. So if the Father is eternal and Jesus is one in nature with the Father, then that means that Jesus is eternal. In nature, And then finally, would you turn all the way, in my Bible, the last page of Scripture in my Bible, Revelation 22, uh, we want to look at verse 13. Revelation 22, verse 13. Jesus speaking again. I hear pages turning, so I'm going to take my time. I want you to be there. It says I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus has affirmed again, he was there in the beginning, he'll be there in the end. He he's eternal. So without a doubt, scripture affirms the fact that Jesus is the father of of eternity, but Isaiah's emphasis isn't only on the eternalness of Jesus, but he says he shall be called the everlasting father. So how are we to understand the father aspect of Jesus? Well, I'm going to say this again. In understanding what Isaiah is saying, that he will be called everlasting father, it's very important that we understand that Isaiah is not indicating that when Jesus comes... He will take the place of the Father. He's not talking about the role of Jesus, but he's talking about his character and his function towards us when he comes, that he will be fatherly, that he is fatherlike in his treatment towards us. Um, uh, what we have, uh, let, let me read this to you. In context, Isaiah is saying, the Son is the King who functions as a father uh, over his children. He acts like a father, he protects as a father, he feels affection as a father, and just as a father, he feels compassion for his children. Isaiah is revealing the fatherly love that Jesus will have for us when he comes, and now he's come in the love that we experience. Um, Just a few minutes ago as I was starting, I shared with you the story of my family, particularly the story of my father, and I did that purposely. Uh, What I want to add to that story is that over the years I have had to learn how not to view God, my heavenly father through the eyes of the story of my earthly father. And it's an ongoing process. It's a journey. I spoke of how I walk in healing. Uh, There's been emotional healing, mental healing that's happened. But from time to time, something will surface something will come up and I recognize okay ouch that that hurt just a bit and so what do I do I say Jesus I need help with this and so I continue to make sure that I view the heavenly father through a right picture of the heavenly father through through the eyes of the story of the heavenly father instead of my earthly father Um, let me ask you this morning how do you view your heavenly father how do you view our heavenly father Do you view the heavenly father through the eyes of the story of your earthly father? How do you view the heavenly father? Um, For some to view the father, the heavenly father, through the eyes of the story of our earthly father, that's actually a really good thing for you. Because you grew up in a home where your father, he had it together. He was a loving father who nurtured a healthy home environment. And that he was a model of unconditional love in his acceptance of you. And that as you watched him, uh, you learned how to love. And so as a result of that healthy home that your father nurtured, a healthy home life, a loving, honoring, respectful, reverent um, home life uh, in, in turn, that's how you view the Heavenly Father. And that's a good view of the Heavenly Father to have. But for others, maybe you grew up in the home of an angry father. And you felt like that you had to um, always walk around on eggshells. Maybe your father yelled a lot. Maybe uh, you never knew when he was going to lose his cool or kind of blast off to the moon, so to speak. Um, maybe your father in anger had the ability to speak very hurtful, cutting words. And maybe because of how your father acted in anger, what you learned to do is you learned to avoid your father because you didn't want to make waves in the family. You didn't want to make waves in the relationship. And if you grew up in that kind of environment and that's how you see the heavenly father today, the problem is, is that in the same way that you learn to avoid your earthly father, it's very possible that you would carry that over into the relationship with the heavenly father and you would feel like he's an angry God. And so you avoid him at all costs because you don't want to have to deal with the conflict. Uh, maybe you grew up in a home with a father who never seemed to be satisfied. Uh, your father had spoken and unspoken expectations. And you felt like you could never live up to those expectations. You felt like you could never um, satisfy him. That you constantly had to work to earn his love. To earn his respect. Um, You you just never felt like you could do what you felt like he wanted, either spoken or unspoken. And if that's the home life that you grew up in, it's possible that you would carry that view into your view of the Heavenly Father. And you would see the Heavenly Father as someone I can never satisfy Him. He has these tremendous expectations on me and on my life. And I just don't have what it takes. And I can never, I never satisfy Him. And so uh, what happens is you work hard to earn the Heavenly Father's love. And you even work hard to earn your salvation because you're working. Working is the key. I'm working, working, working. I'm doing, doing, doing to try to please the Father. And that's how you view him, or maybe you grew up in a home life where you had an absent father. He just or he just wasn't around much. Maybe you rarely saw your father. Maybe he um, just was home long enough to change clothes and, and to leave again. Uh, maybe he was always working or maybe he was always out drinking. For whatever reason, he wasn't there. And so you doubted if your father really loved you. And you doubted if your father cared for you. And the problem with uh, that view is it's very possible to carry that view into your view, the story of the heavenly father. And so you feel like God isn't there. You feel like he's an absent heavenly father. You feel like um, uh, you, da- you even doubt maybe his existence or you, you doubt his, his care for you. Do you see how uh, it's, if, we have a, if we have a distorted view of our earthly father, then we can have a distorted view of our, of our heavenly father. And God doesn't want us to live that way. The Heavenly Father doesn't want us to see Him that way. Instead, He wants us to see Him for who He is. He wants us to embrace Him as a loving, compassionate Father. Who, he wants us to see that He, he, he cares for us. That He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We don't have to earn His love. We don't have to earn His salvation. And this is really the great story of Christmas. The great news of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the everlasting Father, has given us the perfect family story. He made His way into the world so that we could be adopted into God's family. And in God's family, with our Heavenly Father, we have the perfect family family story. And that perfect family story overrides every unhealthy, every dysfunctional family story that you would have ever known because he is a God who heals. He is a God who who takes care of us. He's a God who restores. He's a God who redeems. And this is the story of Christmas. This is the great news of Christmas. The story of Christmas is that Jesus... Our everlasting Father came not only to reveal the Heavenly Father to us, but He acts towards us as a compassionate Father, uh, loving, uh, uh, protecting, and providing all the needs that we could possibly have. So how do, we, how do we translate that into everyday life, though? What does that mean for us? How, how do we embrace this view, uh, a right view of the Heavenly Father? Well, four things I want to tell you. Uh, First, as our uh, uh, as our everlasting Father, uh, Jesus loves us unconditionally with an everlasting love. Jesus loves us unconditionally with an everlasting love. In Romans eight, twenty eight and twenty nine, it says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And here's what that means: it means that um, our heavenly Father uh, is not an angry Father. He's not a never satisfied father. Uh, he's not a, 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 an absent father. It means we don't have to walk around in eggshells. We don't, have to, we don't have to earn his love. We don't have to earn our salvation. He loves us unconditionally with an everlasting love. Um, it also tells us that as our everlasting father, Jesus opens the way to everlasting salvation. Because God loved us so much, He sent Jesus as our everlasting Father. And because of Jesus, we now have the opportunity and the privilege to have relationship with God the Father. We can experience salvation. We can experience eternal, eternal life. John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son, and that if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but we would have eternal life. In John 6, 47, it says, those who believe have eternal life. Um, As our everlasting Father, uh, Jesus provides our daily needs. We have a Father who provides our our, our daily needs. Uh, uh, Just as uh, our Father, uh, Jesus is actively working for our good to meet us at our points and places of need. He provides for us uh, as an everlasting faithful provider. In uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks. and He says, you you don't need to worry about the details of life, the things of life. Um, What you do is you seek first God's kingdom. And I'm going to make sure that all these things are, are provided for you. And finally, Jesus... As our everlasting Father is with us in the challenges of life. And we've talked about this for the past two weeks. And he's interceding on our behalf. We have an advocate through Jesus Christ. Who is constantly going before the Father on our behalf. As Isaiah reveals the gift of our everlasting Father. He's revealing Jesus as the source of all eternity. And... He's revealing uh, the everlasting Father's great love for us. And he's declaring that you and I will never, ever be without a father. And not only is it a father, but he's a good, good father. All that a good father is, Jesus is that and more. And we can depend on that. How do you view the Heavenly Father? What story are you looking through? After the first service, I had some conversations and I realized that one of the things that was touched on and I believe by the Holy Spirit this morning was some father wounds. And here's what I want to say. God wants to heal your father wounds. God wants to heal your father wounds. He doesn't want you to walk around in woundedness. He wants you to walk around knowing that you have the perfect love of the Heavenly Father who loves you completely it's a perfect love. It's an unconditional love. And He doesn't want anything to be in the way of how you receive that love. And so He wants to work healing in you so that you can extend forgiveness and release those possible wounds from the past and actually love in a way that you've never loved before. And I want to pray that for us this morning. Father God, Thank you that you gave the gift of Jesus, our everlasting Father. We thank you that, Jesus, you have revealed the Father, but you also uh, act in a fatherly way towards us. Your treatment to us is fatherly because you are just like the heavenly Father. Father God, I pray for any one of us in this room who has a father wound that is somehow Uh, hindering how we see you and how we love you and how we embrace you and I ask that your healing power would flow even right now touching those wounds and bringing the healing of the Holy Spirit in hearts and lives, in minds in emotions and Father God I pray that we would be able to let go of those things and that we could fully embrace the love of our Heavenly Father has displayed through our everlasting Father, Jesus Christ. I pray that that work happens. I thank you because you're at work right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And Everyone said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.